Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad that you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Welcome to Live Free Church. I'm Colby. And uh, we've been doing a sermon series in the last 22 weeks um, on First Peter. I think First Peter, uh, Peter who is apostle to Christ, eyewitness to Jesus, um, is writing to people in about 64 AD in modern day Turkey who are suffering, struggling for their faith. I think this book is all about people who've had their lives derailed, have their lives in a moment shifted, and they've had to like reposition themselves, pivot in this moment. I think for us, that speaks to us, that we have had to pivot. We've had to like adjust the things that we're going to do for our church plant startup in Kelowna, that we actually want to start church on April 12th, 2020. And little do we know there's a pandemic uh, happen this year. So we've actually shifted plans. But I think for us, when we look at, at suffering and struggle and being uncomfortable, that I feel like we could be in that time that, that I don't know about you, but I've never been a homeschool parent before. And in, in 2020, I've had to be a homeschool parent. I've had to be a stay-at-home dad at some point. As Lori, my wife, has worked as an RN in the emergency in Kelowna General Hospital. You see, I think ultimately Peter's writing to people saying that, they're suff- that even though they're suffering, even though they're struggling, that their hope can be found in Jesus. That Jesus can be their functional trust, that the, the thing they put their trust in in the next few weeks, we'd love for you to join us to share um, our sermon series with other people. We're in a series called Killing Loneliness. That we believe that in this generation, that you and I are more lonely and isolated than ever before. I shared a story about how I was at a friend's house in Calgary. And he said that he read an article in the Boston Globe and it shook him to his core. Like it rattled him. Because it said that in this article that, that the, the biggest epidemic that's hitting people today isn't cancer or smoking, it's loneliness. According to CNBC, 61% of people are, are, they say they're sometimes or always feeling lonely. Like 61% of people sometimes or always feel lonely. They say loneliness is the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You see, that's doing something to us. And we want you, for the next three weeks, to join us as we try to kill loneliness, as we try to find authentic community, authentic friends. And we believe, I believe there's a problem, and I have that same issue. I'm just as lonely as you are in your living room. And so we would love for you to to share this, um, to join us. You can join a community group that lasts for about eight weeks. Um, just go to our website and click on the top on the community tab and uh, fill out the form and we'll place you in a community group where you actually can find the right fit. But here's the deal. Regardless of where you find yourself, I think today we're talking about this idea in First Peter. As Peter wraps up this letter, he's writing to these suffering Christians about, about how to be battle ready. How do you actually be ready for a battle? Like, how do you know that you have what it takes to actually endure and suffer and struggle, but be ready for the battle that is life? That if you have lived life for any duration, just talk to someone who's lived for a little while, you realize that they actually have been battle-ready for a lot of years. 
there's this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. You have a Bible, flip it out, and, uh, or go to the app. Um, you can check out an app called YouVersion. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse, one, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Here's what it says here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Salvanius, a fellow brother, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So there's this amazing passage that kind of Peter kind of wraps it up with. And I kind of want to kind of hit home this one topic that I think in our culture today that sometimes that people don't want to talk about, about who God is. That a lot of times people are like, oh, like, you know, that's great. You're starting a church up in Kelowna. That's such a weird thing to do. Um, but good on you. Um, I don't want to talk about it. But I think for a lot, of, a lot of times, people don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't want to talk about God. But what they want to talk about sometimes is the exact opposite of it. They want to talk about demons. They want to talk about Satan. They want to talk about the devil. They want to talk about um, spiritual forces. You think about any movie that like lines up to October, right? Like I was watching football the other day, and uh, we do this thing all the times where I'm like, we're watching football, and our kids see an advert on TV, and we're like, cover your eyes, and our kids just know to look down, right? Because it's like, this, this like demonic antebellum movie or something. Like, there's these, these movies that I think a lot of times that show our fixation on, on, the, on demons and the devil. And this, this writer, C.S. Lewis, in his, in his works called The Screwtape Letters, go and, go and read them. It's about one senior demon writing to a junior demon. He says that, that when it comes to people in their views about the devil, there's usually two camps you fall into. And there's overbelief, and there's underbelief. He says that the two opposite views people have are either you either have an unhealthy kind of fear, right? Overbelief means that you see the devil in everything, right? Like a black cat crosses your yard, and you're like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Like every little moment of your life, you're like, you know, you hear a creak in your house, and you're like, what was that? Right? Like, do I need to call in someone to pray over our house? See, when they think of the devil, these kind of people of overbelief are always afraid. You're always terrified. They're like trying to do exorcism on everyone. The devil is everywhere. In a sense, they give the devil way, way, way too much credit. On the other hand, there's underbelief. See, where the devil is just laughed at. It's sort of like fairy tale kind of stuff. Stuff just to kind of like scare you a little bit, but it's really not there. Right? He can't really do anything to you, right? People would say that. It's only for movies. It's only for horror movies, right? It's only for clowns that hold balloons. Like, I think, here's the thing, like, there's, there's an overbelief and there's an underbelief, but here's, what does the Bible say about the devil? 
and it's, I think it's pretty obvious in this passage where it says there is a devil. That's the first step. The first step to be in battle ready is you have to actually understand that there's a war going on, that there's an adversary. There's someone who's trying to come against you. In verse 8, it says here, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, in the Bible, when you look at the terms for the devil, they're pretty terrifying. A roaring lion, a red dragon, a strong man, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. See, the, the Bible talks very clearly about the devil as a supernatural personal force of tremendous evil and power in this world. As one of the old writers, old theologians said, said here, he would, the devil would pick up mountains and throw them at you if God would let them. See, this is the devil. He's a roaring lion. Like the early Christians would have known really well what a roaring lion was like because they would have thrown them in into these like spectacles, into these arenas, and they'd have been devoured by lions. You see, what happens is for a second, when you think about it, I think one of the reasons why our, our modern-day thinkers likes to think about this idea and ridicule the devil is because we feel like it's just, we undervalue it. We underbelieve it. I think Christians sometimes tend to like overbelieve it. But if you think about it, you can't take parts of what Jesus says and what Paul talks about in the New Testament, what Peter talks about right here. But when the person talks about the fact that the devil is a supernatural, personal force, an evil, that he's roaring like a lion willing to devour you. That in your worst moments, in your suffering, in your struggle, in your being overwhelmed with 2020, like the devil is willing, he's, he wants to, to prowl on your life, he wants to devour you. See, if you notice this, when Peter's talking about this passage, he's talking about there's two kind of pitfalls that he's, I don't know why Peter's highlighting these two things, but he highlights these kind of two things that he says that are kind of like sins that the, that the devil wants to use to kind of entrap you and to, to devour you with. And those two things are really, which he gets in this passage, is pride and anxiety. The two things that will devour, devour me is pride, which they say is the root of all sin, and anxiety. See, in verse 5 and 6, it says here that this passage, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Then it moves on to verse 7. It says here, as it introduces the second issue, the second kind of secondary sin, which I think is um, anxiety. We're talking about anxiety here just as a precursor. Um, we're talking about non-clinical anxiety. But it says here, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And, and that's in the NIV, but the CSV, CSB version says, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. And suddenly it shifts and says here, your enemy, the devil, is looking around. He's wanting to devour you. He's looking to devour you. He's looking to use these things, your pride and your anxiety, to devour you. See, Peter's not just switching subjects just randomly because he's a crazy person. He's trying to build this case that these two things the devil wants to use in your life to trap you. To be battle ready, one, is to, to understand that, to be aware that there is a devil, but to be aware of the, the pride and anxiety you find in your life. 
See, as we address pride, when it says here, clothe yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. See, what does this verse tell us about pride? See, a lot of times, other places in the Bible, this is where I think I love the Bible, because it gives you such a great picture, picture of what um, pride looks like from different angles, as it kind of like jabs and pokes your life. And a lot of times, pride, what it really means in the Bible is, it's not just having something, having more of something. It's having more of something than the other person. Right? That's us. <laughs> we have pride all the time in our lives because we look at our car, I look at my house, I look at my life. Right? A lot of times, you're just like, I just want more of this, more of more money, more time. You know, a better relationship with my wife, better relationship with my kids. I just want it to look better than so-and-so on Instagram. I just want it to look better than, than David or Levi. Or I want it to look better than these people. You see, pride here, though, isn't defined by wanting more of something than the other person. It's actually def- defined as a resistance to the grace of God. See, pride is, is that we refuse God's grace. The pride in our lives blocks the grace of God. It says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Like grace doesn't flow to the, the proud. Pride is a block to it. You have grace to the degree you've, when you've dealt with your pride. See, pride in its nature is anti-grace and that's what it is. This past few weeks, I've been reading a book um, as a kind of staff team, David, Levi, myself, and we're reading this book, and the first chapter is all about the pitfalls of a church planter. And if you, like, if you talk about like any church startup, right, like you, they say you have to have an immense amount of pride, arrogance to do it. Like you, like you would never put your kids and your family through all this crap just to get like to this point where people are going to criticize you, people might follow you, people might not, um, you know, churches might oppose you. But to plant a church, to start a church up, you have to have an immense amount of pride in your life to get it done, to see and envision something different. And a lot of times, we, this guy was saying here in this book, The Honest Guy of Church Planting, was that most church planters believe that every other church in their area is doing it wrong. And I remember I, I looked at that chapter and I was like, like, have you ever had a moment where it just like it bugs you? Like, you're like, what is it that just bugs me in this chapter? Because it's true. It's true for me that, that we would never do this if we didn't have a pride or arrogance. But I have people around us to remind me of the grace of God. Because my pride in my own life blocks it. It blocks God's grace to flow into my life because I feel like I can achieve this. I can do this on my own. But I need people around me to remind me of how God loves me, cares for me, is pursuing me. See, there's a pride in my life. I think it, it shifted when COVID hit and we had to like pivot and change plans and to reorganize things. And I had a goal in my mind of what we want to do. We'll plant lots of churches in Kelowna. And I'm like, let's get this thing going. But right now I feel like we're in this moment where we're like, we, we have a church of community groups, but we haven't really 
launched a physical service yet. Like we need to build community before we actually launch a service. I'm thankful for that. But if you ask me in March how I felt, it felt like I was being crushed. I was being destroyed. See, your pride is that you think that you know better how your life should go than God. And when it doesn't go to plan, what happens is you become anxious. And that's where Peter moves in this passage. He moves from pride right to anxiety. See, the sin that there will be a foothold for Satan, and these aren't the only two sins in the whole Bible. These are the only ones that Peter referenced. But if you think about non-clinical anxiety, I think it's a symptom. It's, a, it's an issue of us not believing that God is in control, that we know better than God. There's a number of places in the Bible, just go through or Google search it, where it says, have no anxiety. See, if you're worried, you have to humble yourself. In other words, what it means here is that you, you see your worries always, they always stem from the fact that there's an overconfidence in your life. There's an overconfidence in your own opinions. There's an overconfidence in how your life should go. Right? It, but worry always stems, I believe, from an overconfidence in your life. And that's the reason why in this antidote to an anxiety, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Like, who's in control? God is. I'm not in control. You're not in control. Just ask someone who's lived a bit of their life if their life went to plan, and they'll tell you again and again and again, it never went to plan. If you worry about, if you have of overconfidence of your opinion of how your life should go, you will live an anxious life for the rest of your life. You can't say to God, God, I, I know it's coming, I, but I know that you care for me. No, it doesn't look like things are going right. I know it's best. That's what overconfidence looks like. But, but putting your confidence in Jesus means this is my whole life, and I know what's going on, but I know that you know what's best. My confidence isn't in my own best thinking. It's actually in your providence. It's in your, your foreknowledge of what's going to happen. See, it's not saying I know what's best. It's saying, God, I trust that you know what's best. You see, if you live your life in your overconfidence of what you think your life should look like, like any psychologist or any doctor will tell you the same thing when anxiety does. It tears up your life. It just shreds it up. Like you, let, you feel like you're dying. You feel like you're like, you don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. See, what do you do with it? And this is what Peter here says here. He says here, cast your anxieties on Jesus because he cares for you. You know that, that word, Cast means, literally, it means to throw once and for all. It means to, you know, your worry is really kind of like this disorientated distraction in your life. And actually, you can take your worry and your distraction, you can throw it on Jesus for once and for all. I remember a few weeks ago, I was in my counseling session. I see a counselor every week. It's one of the best things I've done in 2020. And uh, we're talking about this, this shame I felt. I felt as a pastor. I felt like I never measured up. 
that we're talking through these kind of critical situations I've been through in the last probably seven years, ten years. And he says, you know, like, you might be angry, Colby, but under the line issue of your anger is shame. And he says, what do you do with your shame? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I feel like I, the pastor thing to say is to give it to Jesus. But he's like, but you have to actually give it to Jesus. You have to actually release it. What he's trying to say is you have to cast it to him because he cares for you. He wants to carry that burden. I remember looking at him over Zoom and being like, I don't know how to do that. And he says, well, just at the end of the Zoom call, just spend time just praying. And I remember ending that Zoom call and just bawling my eyes out because I've carried this shame with me for so long. And I think for some of you, it means actually at the end of this, just spending time saying, Jesus, I want to cast my overconfidence onto you. That I am under your mighty hand. That you protect me. But when you cast your worries on Jesus, here's what you get. In verse 10, it says, The, the, the God of all grace who established you to his eternal glory in Christ will, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. You see, that's what happens. That in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, it says here, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, like that you actually get a new identity when you cast your things, your overconfidence, your pride onto Jesus. You get a new identity and you're called to him now. You get eternal glory not because of your own strength and your own might, but because of Christ's strength and his own achievement on the cross for you. And that's why Jesus restores and redeems, establishes, and supports you in the battle of everyday life. You see, what does this look like? There's this guy um, who wrote a hymn, and uh, I didn't grow up in the church. <laughs> and so a couple years ago, a band um, called Citizens they started releasing all these old hymns, and I'd come home, and I'd be like, to my wife, I'd be like, Lori, um, there's this amazing hymn, or this amazing song, actually. I wouldn't say hymn, I'd say an amazing song. I'd play it for her, and she goes, yeah, that's an old hymn. And I was like, but yeah, I've never heard this before. Right, like for her, this is an old song, but for me, it was a brand new song. And I remember hearing one day of this guy's life, and it really kind of cut me to the heart of like, this song that I didn't really like, okay? There's a hymn written by a guy named Horatio Spafford, and he wrote this hymn, let me tell the story first before I kind of get into it. That his wife and his four children were coming back, a, back to him across Atlantic on an ocean liner. The ocean liner hit an iceberg and began to sink. His wife got the four children that they had around her, and they sat down and they began to pray. They were a Christian family. They prayed that God would protect them. Unfortunately, they went down, and all the children drowned. The wife was not, and she was picked up unconscious, floating on a log or something, and taken to New York City, where, where she wired her husband, Horatio, in Chicago. All she said the telegram was, saved alone. See, when they got together, 
They sat down as Christians and, and pro- processed it as Christians. And, and as a result, he wrote what God showed him. The chorus of the hymn is, It is well with my soul. One of the most amazing parts to me of this hymn is when you realize what situation that they were in, losing their kids, that there's a verse, third verse, it says here, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You see, when you're really scared and anxious, when you're under a a load of intense suffering, one of the things that we always say, we always feel is shame or guilt. You always think, am I being punished? But if you cast your cares knowing that he cares for you, if you think about his love, you think about his grace, you're able to say, no, this isn't a punishment, that my Lord knows what he's doing, that my Lord's arms are underneath me, that his hand, his mighty hand is above me, protecting me. That I don't have to have that kind of guilt that's nailed to the cross, and therefore it is well with my soul, whatever I go through. See, to kind of sum this whole thing up, this whole book up, to be battle-ready, to cast your cares on Jesus. To be battle ready really means that you you resist your pride and your anxiety. That you know that every day it's a battle. That every day it's a battle because there's this idea that we think we know best. We know what our life should look like. And God, how come my life doesn't look as perfect as that person's life? But in the midst of our, our pride and our anxiety, that you cast your concerns on him continually, that he knows, that we have a God who knows what it looks like to suffer and to struggle, to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have a God like Jesus who suffered and died. He cast his concerns to the Father. And the last thing is you can rest in your identity in Christ that no matter what happens to you, that Jesus will ultimately strengthen, empower you, restore, and support you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this series. I thank you for how you've actually spoken this to me, how I needed this sermon the sermon series as much as anyone else, that in a moment that my life was, was flipped upside down, it was, um, there was a detour, and I felt like we had nowhere to go. In the whole way, God, that you were guiding and directing us, that you weren't punishing us, but Lord, that you were showing us your love and compassion through our through these seasons where we kind of have everything stripped back, the things that we maybe hold on to, the things we cling to, the pride in our life, the anxiety, our overconfidence of how our life should look like or go. Lord, I pray in this moment that we'd actually want to cast our cares to you, our guilt, our shame, how we feel about our struggle, our suffering, to say, God, this is yours, this isn't mine to carry. 
Like, why am I taking this back, Lord, when it's yours? And Father, I pray that we'd rest in our identity. Our identity is that you have accomplished everything for us, that we don't have to accomplish anything. We don't have to work on our salvation, but that every day, that as we desire, look at you, that you are constantly changing our affections and our desires, the things that we think about. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.